I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman, coming to you from Atlanta in February of 2021. And today we're going to be talking with author and activist and media producer AFCO about her insightful ideas on how oppressions based on race and on species are actually interdependent and therefore liberation movements for animals and racial justice must work together, even though most people haven't understood it that way yet. We're specifically discussing her guidance on how to be allies from her latest book, Racism as Zoological Witchcraft, A Guide to Getting Out. And here she's referring to Jordan Peele's movie, Get Out. And let me tell you about her. AFCO is a theorist and independent digital media producer. She's the author of two influential books, Racism as Zoological Witchcraft, A Guide to Getting Out, and co-author of the book, Afroism, Essays on Pop Culture, Feminism, and Black Veganism from Two Sisters. I own both of these books and highly recommend them. F has a bachelor's degree in women's and gender studies and a master's degree in communication from University of South Florida and has plans to pursue a PhD. She's known for writing the first article that listed 100 Black Vegans. It became very popular when it went viral. She also contributed an essay about race and animal oppression in the first African-American vegan starter guide. And by the way, that African-American vegan starter guide pamphlet is available through Farm Sanctuary's website at farmsanctuary.org. AF is also a founding collective member of the North American Association for Critical Animal Studies. AF served as the associate producer for the documentary film Always in Season, directed by Jacqueline Olive. The film won the U.S. Documentary Special Jury Award for Moral Urgency at the Sundance Film Festival in February 2019. Aff is also the founder of the website Black Vegans Rock, blackvegansrock.com. PETA stated that through the Black Vegans Rock website, Aff has arguably done more to give Black vegans a voice than any other media outlet today. Aff's work has been featured in the New York Times, Black Youth Project, Huffington Post, Veg News Magazine, Plant-Based News, and Vegan Life Magazine. And now here on the world-famous In Tune to Nature radio show. Her website is afco.com and spelled out that's A-P-H-K-O. Welcome, Aff. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, I'm super excited to have a chat with you and I'm a little nervous. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's going to be good. And I, it's really an honor to have you on the show because you're writing on veganism and on race and species justice. It's very pioneering and very influential to me and many other activists. So I'm really kind Thanks of, this is, so I should much. have had you on a long time ago. <laughs> so, well, I, I think you actually did ask me. I probably did. You turned me down probably many times and now finally, but it's like, yeah, we have like, so hello. much to talk about. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. going to have to have you back. And Af and I were sure. talking before the show that we can't get through. We're just going to hit the base, some basic yeah. concepts of what is a really, really deep and often yeah. controversial topic. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, and so we're just going to kind of touch on some of the main points and then we can have Af back at another time to Absolutely. get into different kind of aspects. But Tell us what the impetus was for writing your latest book, Racism as Zoological Witchcraft, and in what way Jordan Peele's horror movie Get Out was maybe part of the inspiration for this book. Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, So in 2017, I published my first book, um, Afroism. And after I wrote that book, I felt like I needed a break. Oftentimes when I engage in a subject or a project um, that I think is kind of heavy, I need to take 
immense time off and just kind of yeah. like collect myself. So um, one way that I tried to relax was I went to the movies <laughs> because I love media. I love television. Yeah. And so I saw Get Out because I saw some previews for it, but I had no idea like how deep it was going to be. Right. And as I sat there in the movie theater, like creativity just like sparked within me and I immediately went home and started writing. Wow. And now um, for those who don't know, I never start out a book project by thinking it's a book project. Usually it's just a word document I pull up and I just vomit out a bunch of words and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get this out of my system. Um, and over time I had, you know, some talks with the publisher and about, um, you know, turning this into a book. So I think if it were not for Get Out, I would not have written this book. Um, and I really saw this as a way, or in terms of the, the actual film, I saw it as inspiration for me to kind of bend the genre a little bit around animal rights and race. Um, and so, yeah, I'll get into that further. Right. And I think because the movie Get Out is so popular, it can also bring people to the book and the concept, or it can be a like a framework for people better understanding your ideas, especially if you've seen the movie, which I do recommend it. It's um, yes. fantastic. It, Absolutely. But it, yeah, it is a horror I, movie, but yeah, so it's, it's a horror setting. It's very upsetting. It's extremely upsetting. And um, I think one of the things that really spoke to me about the film as a Black person who watched it was the ways in which Jordan Peele depicted what internal racism feels like through mm. the sunken place where he's kind of the main character Chris is suspended in this black space that to me it is very rare that I ever see double consciousness depicted in a creative um, theatrical way and when I saw that in addition to themes about animality and um, you know white supremacy immediately yeah. I was like I have a book here <laughs> yes. yes right well, okay, in terms of better defining the problem posed by white supremacy and racism, tell us about some of the words and concepts you're drawing upon to explain how white supremacy functions as a kind of quote unquote, zoological witchcraft. Yeah, that's a controversial term in a way. Um, but after I saw Get Out, I ran into some scholarship. Um, and one of the beautiful things about like the type of work that I do, I believe, is that I don't ever stick to one genre or discipline. So I go yeah. through all different types of literature and I see different conversations happening in multiple spaces where, and I like to merge them together. Yeah. So after I saw Get Out, I read a, um, an article by a professor named James Perkinson titled European Race Discourse as Modern Day Witchcraft, where he kind of mm -hmm. reframed white supremacy as not just like a framework or an institution, but as this like consumptive cannibalistic force that consumed whole lands and cultures and people. Um, and then after I read yeah. that, I read a book by uh, Vincent Woodard called The Delectable Negro, which focuses on the history. It's a really graphic book, but the history of, um, you know, like white slave owners in the United States, how they would actually physically eat their slaves Ugh. and it's a really gruesome book I, but yeah. I it's important for the liter the conversation when we talk about animals and consumption and lastly yeah. I, I weave together a little bit of Claire Jean Kim's um just beautiful work as uh, she coined a term called zoo logo racial order where she essentially posits that blackness and animalness um kind of constitute one another um and, and if you kind of want to dismantle this structure of white supremacy you cannot you know walk around the animal you have to go through it and, and you have to grapple with animality um in more than just like a metaphorical way like you know black people are treated like animals we have to actually talk about the actual animal as well so um yeah, I kind of bring all these conversations into the book. Um, and if people haven't read it, I'd encourage everyone to at least just read the intro because yeah. I think I try my best to kind of set it up there. I mean, yeah, like you do a good job of having really deep theoretical concepts that are also quite unique, but Thank put them you. in an accessible way 
not that people might not need to read the sentences a few times and really think about it, but sure. I feel like it's still accessible. But for example, okay, here's a here's um, a quote from page 99 that helps explain the concept of racism as zoological witchcraft. Um, and you phrased it by asking, how does white supremacy use both minoritized bodies and animality to communicate and reinscribe a mythical fantasy of racial superiority? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually what I say in a lot of my talks in the past, even before I wrote this book, I would always say that white supremacy is almost like a grammar system. So imagine, you know, this is a really weird uh, metaphor, but just just hang in there with me. And like, imagine white supremacy is a sentence. It's a group of words together. I argue that um, anti-black oppression and animal oppression, they're two different words in that sentence. They have to be read together in order for that sentence to make sense. Mm. It doesn't make sense to compare the words because they function together, right? So that's what I try to explain to people that, you know, all this, you know, all the uh, spectacle about, you know, anti-racism versus animal rights. I'm like, the whole framework is wrong, everyone. I'm like, there's nothing to compare. There's nothing to compete. They need to be read together in order to understand the system at large. And it provides us with a blueprint for dismantling that system. So that's what I try to show in my work is the relationship rather than the competition between the two. Very important concept, Mm -hmm. at least for activists who kind of see themselves in in two different movements. So if we're talking about, you know, zoological witchcraft being defining like the problem or part of Mm -hmm. the problem as part of the solution to racism and white supremacy, you advocate for a form of activism called Afrozoological resistance. It centers on animality and our understanding of racial liberation. Can you further elaborate on what an Afrozoological mm-hmm. resistance would entail? Sure. So for me, it's the first step of many to kind of deprogram yourself from the system, because I would argue that we oftentimes as activists think everyone else out there is colonized. But I argue even in our <laughs> movements, they're kind of we're operating from some colonial logic as well. Yeah. So the first thing I like to do is kind of borrow from Claire Jean Kim, where she talks about the zoologo racial order. I was really inspired by her language. And I put together two terms that often cause that you normally aren't next to each other, right? So we talk about like Afro-liberation movements and uh, the zoological, you know, like speciesism, that type of stuff. I try to put them together. It's a relationship that you normally don't see, but I'm saying in order for us to dismantle this system, we first have to take off the lens we're using to look at the world because, (laughs) and I use this in a layered way. I mean, not only in our theory, that our theory is incredibly segmented and compartmentalized, but even, and I'm speaking here mostly to black people, in terms of double consciousness, in order for us to be liberated, it's not about just educating white people or changing the system or dismantling the system. It's also about understanding that as I use the witchcraft aspect of white supremacy, it's almost within us now. And so, and I argue, and that's where I use uh, Get Out, that it's the sunken place, it's double consciousness. And um, this is in part, this leads to uh, some of our conversation later, but this leads to in part why a lot of black people think that animal rights movements or talking about animals is just for white people. Or you'll hear a lot of things, I say it in my book, like you'll hear you know, stereotypes about black people, like black people don't swim, black people don't camp, black people don't go hiking, like anything that the natural world is seen as white people stuff. And I'm like, in order for us to be truly liberated as black people, we have to dismantle within ourselves this white supremacy, this Eurocentric thinking about the natural world. And we have to pick up the project of the animal because that will liberate us. That is the missing piece to the puzzle, the activist puzzle. So that's why I purposely use this kind of like controversial language, Afrozoological, um, not only to talk about our theory, but also to uh, break down double consciousness. 
And, and this um, quote on page 72 maybe gets to a little bit of some of that tension like that also you might experience. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you can comment on this. So you ask, how is it possible that we live in an era in which anti-racist activists are acutely aware of how white supremacy treats people of color like animals, but are discouraged from examining how literal animals are casualties of this racial caste system as well? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think any activist, particularly if you're an activist of color who is vegan or an animal rights person, you uh, um, confront this tension almost on a daily basis yeah. that people don't understand. They're like, how are you, uh, especially for black people, they're like, how are yes. you black and advocating for animals? Like, that's white people stuff. Like, why, why are you talking about that? Like, we have our own oppression we're dealing with. And I always say, I'm like, this is exactly why I target um activist movements to demonstrate yeah. just how colonized we are because I mean even if you look in the book uh, Race Matters Animal Matters by Lindgren Johnson a brilliant historical text she has a quote in her book that I want like tattooed on me because yeah. it's just so good where she says African Americans were animal agents long before the animal rights movement ever existed nice. and so part of the work for us as black people again isn't just to educate white people or dismantle white supremacy on the outside but to refamiliarize ourselves with our own history, <laughs> even not yeah. just our history of oppression, but our history of activism, because this isn't a new phenomenon of black people talking about animals, right? Like this isn't new, but for a lot of people today, this is their first time ever seeing this. And that's in part, we're so colonized to think that talking about animals is white people stuff. And that's so problematic. And it really just puts blinders on to like seeing the full landscape of the problem and the solution. And, and this is why I, again, I target our activist movements because it's almost like you see this massive landscape and we've erected these border walls around issues so yeah. over to the left is where the animals are that's where we're going to talk about animal rights activists and over to the right that's where the feminists are and i'm like we need to break down these borders and really refamiliarize ourselves with the territory of oppression because our theory isn't matching the landscape right it really has also inspired me to look back at things that i've overlooked um from human rights activist mm-hmm. theories in the past that uh, talk about animality and I in a ways that I might that that I could find useful in my own work and I haven't fully recognized and that was something I was getting from sure. your book. Thank if you. you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature and I'm host Carrie Freeman interviewing innovative author, activist, and media producer Afco, author of books such as Afroism and Racism as Zoological Witchcraft. Her websites are blackvegansrock.com and afco.com, spelled A-P-H-K-O. In this latter part of the show, Af, I wanted to focus on some ways that activists can start to envision themselves as part of a multidimensional liberation movement. So, and that's one of your terms, multidimensional liberation. So let's start with the question, what do you say to members of the anti-racist movement, like for example, Black Lives Matter, who don't see vegan or animal rights movement as very relevant and see that as a separate or even hostile cause? Well, for one, I don't blame them completely because when you look at the media, I mean, I have to give them some credit here because when you look at the media um, and you see the depiction of what it means to be an animal rights activist, I completely get why a lot of people- They call it the animal rights movement for a reason. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. because it it looks at not only just the racial component, but the theory, the things that they care about seem so disconnected from the everyday realities of people who are struggling. Like they're like, "Uh, hello. And so I, I get it. But at the same time, what I would say, what I do say when I go into predominantly black communities to talk about these issues is that we have to learn to separate the raw oppression 
from the movement designed to tackle that oppression, right? So we have the raw oppression, which is animals are being harmed. Now we have movements designed to tackle that, let's say like PETA or Humane Society, right? right. Just because you don't like, let's say PETA, doesn't right. mean that you shouldn't care <laughs> about the actual yeah. issue at hand, which is animal oppression. And I would encourage people again, and I say this in my book, um, one thing I'm really passionate about is how do we take the animal out of the animal rights movement so that everyone feels free to talk about this stuff? Because again, this is one of the, the destructive things about movement logic is that we put these borders around and we think that the only people who can talk about animals are people who call themselves animal rights activists or vegans. And right. I'm saying that the thing is there are people, let's say in anti-racist spaces who I run into who are not vegan, who don't completely understand or care so much, let's say about factory farming, but they are theoretically picking up the project of the animal by examining their own oppression by be, in terms of the way that they've been called an animal. And that was their introduction into talking about animals. And some of the theory is so beautiful and connects so brilliantly to what animal rights activists are doing, but a lot of these people aren't talking simply because of the politics of our movements. And so that's why I always say, look past a movement, look past a brand, look past a corporation and look at the raw oppression itself. And I'd always encourage people to say like black, if you're in black lives matter, yeah. I would actually say, stay in your movement, but yeah. incorporate the idea of the animal within your own logic, because you're going to produce beautiful insights. And what we need is more movements and more voices, not one movement, just getting more and more diverse because you know, we need the knowledge to be diverse. So that would be my advice. Right. And so now I'm going to kind of flip it and, and talk yeah. about how, what advice you might give to animal rights activists or vegans. So what would you say to members of the animal rights and vegan movements who might think that while human rights is also important, so much priority is already put on human causes that it takes away from helping animals whom society sees as less important by comparison. So they might ask, isn't it okay for vegan activists to just prioritize helping farmed animals since these individuals are legally slaughtered by the billions and they really need our help. Like, can I just work on that? Yeah, and I think I, I, I might give a slightly unpopular answer here and it wouldn't be one I would have agreed with in the past, but um, I would say, I, I, I think it's okay if people are just focusing on animals. And what I mean by that, that's not to say, a lot of times in our movements today, when, once, when someone says something, we oftentimes hear something else. So in me yeah. saying, okay, you can only focus on animals if you want, other people might hear, wait, are you saying that you don't have to care about race and gender and all this stuff? And I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. But if what you feel called to do is, and what you feel like you have the capacity to do is to just focus on animals. I think like with your limited time. Yeah, you know, meaning like we all care about homelessness and we don't yeah. want kids to have cancer, but we might not work on those issues. Absolutely. Right. Okay. For example, just to make it personal for me, my brother is disabled. And a lot of people don't know that because I don't talk yeah. about it a lot, but that's, uh, but I'm mostly known for veganism. That certainly doesn't mean that I don't care about like issues affecting disability, but yeah. that's more of like a private thing for me that I deal with. But I feel like I just have the capacity to focus on for right now, at least on my public self, to talk about animals and veganism. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I don't care about disability issues. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that yeah, you're, you're fine to do that. And I think that I get why people get upset when they hear single issue movements, because I, there's this Audre Lorde quote that gets circulated a lot. Like we don't lead single issue lives. So, you know, we can't have single issue movements. Totally get it. I get it. But I'm not going to chastise someone who's doing what they can to help vulnerable beings. At the same time, I would tell activists, and I've run into this in the past, animal rights yeah. activists who have um, challenged me or, uh, you know, said that they hate what I'm doing because I'm taking up space in a movement. And I'm saying, mm. I'm going to reference Lindgren Johnson here, Race Matters, Animal Matters, her book again, where she has a beautiful distinction between direct action 
and indirect action. Yeah. Direct action uh, in terms of animal rights, we're all familiar with. It's the people who like directly help animals in some capacity or like are directly on the front lines dealing exclusively and, and literally with animals. They get the most attention in this movement for good reason. And the she argues indirect action is oftentimes work that I do where I'm talking yeah. about race and it seems so entirely disconnected from animals because I'm not physically talking about an animal. But actually, if you look at the theory I'm doing, it is in service of animals as well. So that's, we just have to uh, get to a point where we respect each other's work. We understand that the importance of building coalitions and just understand that people do things differently and there's nothing wrong with that. And so again, like I said, we need multiple voices, multiple hands on this issue. And we're not gonna get there by just this constant infighting and deciding whose work is more important or not. It's just seeing the significance of what we all do. And hey, if someone does something differently because they're situated differently in society and they're using their own perspective and lens to kind of talk about animals, that's fine too. You know what I mean? Right. So I get what they're saying. If that all you wanna focus on is animals, go ahead. I don't know. I mean, my criticism of those people who I've experienced personally <laughs> were like, you know, who just, especially when I launched Black Vegans Rock back in 2016, I dealt with a lot of- Yeah, uh, I'm sorry if anyone's oh, no. criticizing you. It really, it's not, oh. I don't like that. I mean- It was intense, but I, yeah. I understood where they were coming from, but I thought it was a bit ironic because they were the ones saying, shouldn't we just be focusing on animals? But then most of their time, they're focused on just harassing me. So I could turn it back to them and be like, well, shouldn't you be focusing on the animals? Like, why are you worried about black beans rock? You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. really weird. <laughs> to your point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I would like, we, our next show perhaps needs to be um, on like what um, multidimensional mm -hmm. um, anti-racist activism could bring to yes. to liberating animals too yes and so because that's like a whole topic that that you address that people may not you know fully mm -hmm. understand and it's really deep and it's hard to get to but it, it i think it has to do with kind of whiteness defining personhood and oh, humanhood mm -hmm. and oh, so yeah. like and animals being almost like everyone else who isn't yes. like a white man in particular exactly. and so like there's a lot of solidarity that can happen there that we haven't fully oh, embraced yes. oh um, yes so that's a, that's another show but okay so in conclusion what would you suggest our listeners do if they're interested in getting involved with the afrozoological resistance or a movement for what you might call multi-dimensional liberation like how how could they start maybe in their daily lives Sure. So what I would do, I can only give the advice that I think I would take. And yeah. so I'm a bit strange and, and might not apply to everybody. But um, for me, I think the most important uh, first step for anyone is to start reading literature outside of your movement. Okay. I think that's so important. Even if let's say you're an animal rights activist and that's all you care about, fine, cool. But let's say you're kind of interested in other perspectives. I'd say you are more than welcome and allowed to read literature from people who are not vegan, for example. Like, yeah. it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, try to read perspectives like post-colonial, like post-colonial oh literature and queer theory, queer theory, I think, offer so much fertile yes. ground yes. Um, for discussion. And you bring in um, colonial theory yes. as well. And that's in actually, post-colonial theory. In terms of activism, I think some of the best um, activists that I see now are people who've actually gone through multiple movements to get to a state of the animal rights movement. So I remember when I joined the animal rights movement, I was in a coalition with people who also started in like anti-racist organizing and then feminist mm -hmm. organizing and they worked their way through and they just didn't feel like they found their home yet. And then they found yeah. the animal rights movement and they already kind of had that multi-dimensional perspective. They were already, they already had the framework 
uh, ready to talk yeah. about animals. You know, so I think it's just, uh, it's just more important than ever to get outside of the echo chamber and read other perspectives, challenge yourself and read it, read, read, read. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. That would be actually my first step because for me, I say that on a personal level, um, I know we're running out of time, but I remember uh, I read uh, Tommy Curry, who's an Africana studies philosopher and um, his stuff, he doesn't even talk about animals, doesn't talk about veganism at all. He literally just talks about anti-racism and black yeah. males. And that scholarship changed my whole life and the whole trajectory of all my work and how wow. I write. Right. Yeah, so, and and he, it can, it, everything can give you, especially if it's yeah. justice oriented, can give you ideas and help you make connections. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I would recommend to people also then that like the, for the Afroism book and also the reference section of your racism yes. as zoological witchcraft book yes. would have a lot of rich ideas for um, other literatures that- That's that a great idea. Read. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at my reference. I love to like, uh, yes, go straight to bibliographies oh, and kind gosh. of get And I'm going to see people read some stuff that you just mentioned today. Yeah. yeah well, I'm so sorry that we run out of time, but again, we're going to have to have you back. So yes. that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you AFCO for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for continuing to showcase the power and growth of the Black Vegan community through the website blackvegansrock.com and for your dedication as an activist scholar to championing multidimensional liberation for humans of all races and genders and animals of all species. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. <laughs> and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time online at wrfg.org on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com backslash in tune to nature. Views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.